Hello, and welcome to Digital Marketing Musings, hosted by Merkel. Each episode, we choose a different expert to share the latest and greatest in digital marketing trends. Today, we're interviewing David Charles and Brent Walter about B2B basics. All right, let's get to it. I'm Gaia Reed, And I'm Andrea McCartney. And this is Digital Marketing Musings. Welcome back to Digital Marketing Musings Season 2. Today, we're joined by David and Brent to talk about all things B2B marketing. David Charles is a Merkle customer strategist who's developed people-based digital marketing strategies for numerous global companies with a focus on financial services. Brent Walter is an 11-year digital marketing veteran. He specializes in pure play digital marketing in various verticals. He currently owns the the high-tech, automotive, travel, and media verticals for Merkel's customer strategy practice. Welcome to the show, you guys. Thanks for having us. Thanks. So we have talked a lot on our show, really from, you know, kind of a a retail first or or consumer point of view, you know, often because retail is one of our largest verticals and, and we relate the most to consumers. But in the back half of this year, we we really wanted to give more of a highlight to some of our other verticals or ways of selling that we have a really deep knowledge base and expertise on that are are really just as interesting and and have a lot to teach us. So to start with. Could you all outline like what are B2B organizations or ways of selling and what hurdles might you face when you're you're working in that way versus maybe from like a, a B2C consumer perspective? Yeah. So the way that we look at B2B businesses or, or B2B organizations from a customer strategy perspective is it's it's really just the method of selling that you're doing. So it's not necessarily a vertical. So as you mentioned in your intros, the verticals that I work within and the clients that David works with are vastly different, but we both have B2B clients that we both service. So it's ultimately who you're speaking with. And one of the easiest ways that we think of how we can discern if you're B2B or not is, is your consumer spending their own money or or spending the money of their company, their organization. Some of the key considerations that we think of when you know when we're t- uh, talking about B two B buyers are first off, sales cycles tend to be longer. Products tend to be more complex, more expensive, obviously. So education and business cases are imperative before you can sell. Uh, so that really goes into how you plan your content, your content hierarchy, and and how you set up your content to to cater to the funnel. You know, education first, guided selling, and then closing business with that content that you're putting into the market. And then we also tend to think of prospects as being with B2C, it's usually one person. With B2B, it can potentially be multiple people. So it could be a front office person to field that initial call, pass it on to someone who's actually in procurement. And then it's usually a C-suite or a VP that's making the final decision on whether or not they're purchasing. So for us, it's not necessarily, you know, we're selling a pair of jeans to one person, we're selling a complex product to potentially an office full of, of folks. Yeah, that's great. And and like I said, I focus on financial services. So B2B examples in my vertical would be like mutual fund companies. And if you've ever bought a fund from an FA, that FA is an intermediary that works with an asset manager. And so that's a B2B relationship, you know, utilizing financial advisors and broker dealers as an intermediary or reseller of those financial products. Insurance companies, a lot of folks are familiar with that. If you've ever worked 
worked with an independent agent or broker. They then work with the actual policy provider. You know, you hear of Geico, Gerber Live, Prudential, et cetera. And then retirement providers, uh, most people in full-time employment in the U.S. may have a version of a tax-deferred retirement plan, which is a 401k or 457b. And those as well are uh, considered B2B products. Super, super complex products. Brett talked about the longer sales cycle, but you can imagine some of these things, especially if you're selling a 401k into a, a plan sponsor at a, at a large organization. We're talking 12 to 18 months of sales, not only of the platform, but then also of the actual instruments within there. So that complex, you know, sort of uh, configuration of those products can take can take a considerably long time. Another factor, I think, is a significant post-sale support. So dealing with that client, that intermediary or that reseller, you want to stay in tabs with them to make sure that they're continuing to come back to you in terms of, of um, that, that B2B relationship. Uh, one other thing I would say as well is the presence of sales teams. Typically, they'd have to figure out how to leverage or coordinate it with marketing messages. So if your organization has both the marketing function and a sales function, sometimes those two need to interact play with each other. So making sure that top of funnel marketing activity filters down to and is leveraged by sales teams at the bottom of the funnel. David, your responses make me wonder, how does Merkle think about approaching a B2B engagement, particularly from the marketing perspective? As an agency, we have several service lines that focus on specific B2B capabilities or niches within B2B selling. So there's B2B media. So how do we actually reach FAs, intermediaries, et cetera, again, in the financial services space with digital media? Typically, when we think of digital media, we we think of in a consumer context, we think of brand awareness, high level or direct marketing. So we do have specific media B2B capabilities, also content, brands, creative, and consulting as well. So depending on the client's need, we can deploy a team that delivers against a specific business need, whether or not that's you know sort of the MarTech that goes into uh, enabling sales processes uh, in the B2B context or actually thinking about ways of working, consulting an organization around shifting and transforming their organization into one that perhaps can integrate marketing and sales in a more effective way. Really, all the I would say all the customer strategies that we apply in the B2C context, we can also do in the B2B context, building out experience plans and customer journeys, deploying marketing plans across multi-person accounts. Brent mentioned that a little bit earlier, um, what we typically call account-based marketing. When you have multiple individuals within an organization that all have different roles as part of the buying and purchasing process. Uh, So it becomes more complex, but really the fundamentals of customer strategy deliverables and frameworks can be applied. Just again, thinking about the the change in dynamic of the audience really that you're dealing with. Yep. That's, I mean, it's a great point. I think that really when we think of the way that we approach B2B clients, it's again, because it's just a method of selling, we want to make sure that we're selling to the correct people. David's point about account-based marketing. I think when we, when we think about profiling audiences in a B2C context, we're typically leveraging heavily zero-party data on our, on our consumers, zero-party and first-party data. So when we think about lead strategies in B2B though, we are leaning on zero-party and first-party data, but we want to know almost as much about the organization that the person works for as much as the person themselves, right? So to do account-based marketing effectively, you have to be able to connect folks together to say that, you know, these are obviously all, all the same people working in the same uh, same office, shopping for potentially the same product. And so I think, I mean, when we think about uh, engagements and how we run them to differentiate them, there's an example of a, of a client that we've been able to 
build out a personalization experience for. I think typically when we build personalization in the B2C space, it is very intimate. It's one-to-one. You know, We're addressing you as Andrea, we're addressing you as Gaia. But when we think about it from a B2B perspective, we're able to leverage third-party data sources a bit more uh, effectively because as you go to industry conferences, as you uh, subscribe to industry publications, those publications and conferences typically sell that information back. So a client uh, recently asked us to help with a personalization strategy to shift from a hardware sales model to a subscription sales model. And as we're going through that process and thinking about that consumer experience, we're able to then think of all the customer touch points that someone would potentially come to. Again, the, the website, the, the service center, whoever they're speaking to, if it's their sales rep. In that experience, we're able to cater an experience for one person who is potentially shopping for the product to uh, other folks in the office. So if we know that you're all coming from the same company, we can potentially show you the same product set or suite. If we know you're a creative agency or we know you're a, a front office uh, agency, you know those types of instances of, of companies all tend to gravitate toward the same product offerings. So uh, we can customize the, the, the website experience, the sales and service experience as well to kind of fit based off of the company that we know you're working for. And your answer kind of leads me to my next question of, you know, you got into how audience targeting might be a little different between B2B and B2C, but for just like overall marketing plans, I'm guessing that there are differences and and maybe differences in priorities or KPIs or different uh, use and value of different channels. Can you talk a little bit about more generally the difference in marketing plans between B2B and B2C? Yeah, I think David alluded to it earlier that in a B2B environment, you typically rely heavily on a sales organization. Mm -hmm. Marketing and sales typically have to be tied together fairly, uh, fairly closely. So the measurements, the KPIs that B2B organizations are leveraging are pretty distinct from B2C. You typically have a higher reliance on measuring uh, your sales, obviously, with regards to the entire sales process rather than just your end net revenue. Um, You want to make sure that you're measuring how long it's taking to close deals. So a lot of times the investment in technology that caters to that is going to be a a huge part of a a marketing team's budget. So we think CRM systems, uh, marketing automation platforms, identity systems that would that would tie into third party databases like I was mentioning in that in that Mm -hmm. case study. With regards to planning and channel preferences, um, I think, again, to lean back on this idea of content, content plays a huge part in a B2B sales cycle. And so what you focus, you end up focusing on is planning out where that content's going to be leveraged uh, from the top of the funnel down, and then mapping out what channel those, those pieces of content would be best served in. So, you know, from the top down, the website is obviously, or blogs are going to be your, your number one priority. And as you identify users, Further down the funnel, um, you start thinking through one-to-one capabilities. So email, direct email from a sales representative, uh, phone calls, things of that nature. So your your channel strategy, your content strategy all kind of play into your focus and your planning. And then your budget is actually going to be kind of a product of that to facilitate the channels that you want to operate in, the content Mm -hmm. that you want to serve up so that you can close those deals for the KPIs we talk about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a very interesting challenge that came up for us once was when we were looking at FAs, uh, financial advisors, and understanding what that journey entailed. And we learned, you know, as we interviewed a bunch of FAs and we did uh, primary research and secondary research that FAs don't buy funds. 
they they have a short list of funds in their mind that they associate with a particular asset class or a particular investment objective that their clients are asking for. So if a client comes to an FA, a customer comes to an investor comes to an FA and says, you know, I'm really interested in stability. Um, I'm not very good with you know volatility. Uh, uh, a financial advisor might say, well, uh, fixed income is probably the way to go for you. With that in mind, there are particular fund families that are much better at fixed income as opposed to things like, you know, large cap equity, et cetera, et cetera. And so that shortcut of fund families that the FA is thinking of is really the metric that you want to work towards. There is no conversion um, specifically of a fund. So it can become a very qualitative approach uh, to, to measuring and tracking the success of your, uh, of your efforts. And then... Taking our conversation a completely different direction, but definitely important just given what things are going on in, in, in our lives at the moment, what sort of impacts are B2B orgs seeing from things like inflation, supply chain, privacy, different policy changes, all of those sorts of things? With financial services, you know, inflation pops right to the top. Um, you know, in this vertical, <laughs> it, it, it the, the the product itself is is inextric- inextricably linked to the economic challenges uh, today. So, context and content for our clients to help their clients to help their customers, just as individuals in a B two C context may be coming to our clients to ask them for information, they're going to advisors and plan sponsors who are in turn asking their asset management uh, companies. So again, it goes back to this notion that B2C and B2B are very similar in in certain ways in the sense of there is still that relationship and need for content and context in a marketing environment, except in this case, we're speaking to our clients that are helping intermediaries as opposed to to end clients. But they're still asking. Advisors and sponsors and agents will be getting lots of questions from, from consumers trying to help them navigate the current economic environment. Gaming comes up a bit, especially, I should should say, despite being in financial services, you know, we get asked about the metaverse, which is very <laughs> closely linked to gaming. Um, and people think of gaming, typically AR, VR, very much in the uh, in the high tech space, in the retail space. But in financial services, we have our clients coming to us asking us about, you know, what do we need to do in the metaverse? Do we need to open up a branch in the metaverse? Will people be um, utilizing funds? How do we actually market there? So that's actually kind of interesting, despite not being a consumer focused brand, um, there is still an element because at the end of the day, we're still talking to individuals. We're still talking to individuals that will have an ex, you know, behaviors that reflect what they do as consumers as well. Yeah. I would say outside of the financial sector, it's really industry dependent, right? I mean, when we think about across yeah. different verticals, it, it really is going to be, you know, inflation is going to impact different verticals in different ways. Right. Um, some people are, are making hay in that, right? They're, they're actually thriving in this environment <laughs> and some are cutting budgets immediately, right? If they, if they understand they're a consumer first company and that's what they, those kind of services are what they provide, it may be more directly impacted. I think when, when to, to look at it from a, or how we're seeing our clients across different verticals present themselves as B2B businesses. We think of business travel, right? Travel is one of my verticals that we are working with uh, fairly, fairly directly. And business travel companies or even facilitators, OTAs that are helping companies book business travel have seen a massive decline since the pandemic, right? We're all working remotely. Um, we're not spending as much time on site. And so the, the, the ability for companies to sell remotely 
has become pretty cornerstone in the way that a lot of our B2B businesses conduct business, right? So instead of traveling, they're investing more in digital selling tools like webinar tools, things like this, right? We're all speaking from different locations, but we've all, we're all on camera. So how can we best make that digital experience as in-person as possible? I think there's some other verticals that we look at where supply chain is going to be an issue, right? You can sell, but can you actually provide your product at this point? Technology comes to mind right off the bat, right? Uh, we've been having a semiconductor shortage for, it feels like a year and a half, almost <laughs> two years now. And so everything that is sold, you know, cars, obviously big technology, uh, as you sell that to a company, to an organization, your sales are going to be indicative of your ability to supply and the product, right? Um, and so that sales process needs to to both be very clear in, in how you can supply, but also, as David mentioned, kind of at the top of this podcast, you need to be able to service those, those clients post-sale, right? If you're going to be hanging out with them for a long period of time with them not having the product that they bought, uh, you need to be able to have clear, direct messaging to set those expectations accordingly. I'll add one more. Data privacy is uh, an issue. So in the B2B space, you can imagine there's one degree extra of separation between the company and the consumer. Um, and so, uh, for instance, one of our retirement plan providers that we're working with is communicating their client is a plan sponsor, which works with an employer, which works with a corporation, um, and then they're servicing their plan participant employees. Yet the retirement provider speaks directly to the employees. But the plan sponsor or employer isn't allowed to give any of the data of the employee data to the retirement plan providers. So we miss out on an opportunity or they miss out on, on an opportunity to tailor and target and segment the end user to make communications better, to make communications more relevant, but are limited in the ability to do so because they don't have the data that, that enables them to personalize in an effective way. That makes a lot of sense. This has been super helpful to listen to. And I, I feel like I have a, a much better sense of just like B2B considerations in selling and, and organizations. For someone who maybe is still really new to B2B, is there any other you know main takeaway that you want those listeners to walk away from this, this episode thinking about? I mentioned this a little bit earlier, and I think it is worth repeating. Despite the fact that we're working in a B2B context, business to business context, we are speaking to individuals. Individuals are the entity that are engaging with our content. A corporation is not in and of itself. So we do always have to continue to keep in mind the fact that consumer behaviors and expectations of consumer marketing that those individuals have do and can translate into B2B marketing as well. So uh, some of the tactics and the approaches that we take in B2C marketing, we should also consider in the B2B context, again, thinking of uh, them as individuals. Couldn't have said it better. I think that that's, a, that's the big thing in, in B2B is that we tend to think of it as a very different channel, a very different way to sell. But at the end of the day, it is a person that you're speaking to at the, on the other end of the line. So being cognizant that your consumer experience that you serve up, the, the selling experience, the purchasing, purchasing experience and the servicing experience is a large differentiator in the market. I think, again, just knowing that it is a person on the other end of the, of the line that is giving you their time. That's key. It always has to be at the back of your mind as you as you think through the technology and the content and, and the selling cycle that you're working through. Definitely makes sense. And it sounds like very sound advice. David, Brent, thank you so, so much for joining us today and sharing your expertise and knowledge of B2B selling and just planning and, and all the things related to it. So again, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having us. You're welcome. That brings us 
to the end of this episode of Digital Marketing Musings. If you have an idea for an episode this season, we would love to hear it. Just drop us a note at digitalmarketingmusings at merklink.com. And of course, don't forget to hit that subscribe button and rate and review our show. It helps others find us and please tell a friend as well. This episode was produced by Merkel with sound and video editing by Craig Zikersky. Our team includes copywriting by Monica Schliesman, graphic design by Garrett Rubel, website support by Drew Flowerday, and social media and promotion by Gina Astrop and Andrea Ratner. Tune in next time. And until then, I'm Andrea McCartney. And I'm Gaia Reed. Bye.